0: Smartcast.
1: You are listening to A Mint Production. Brought to you by HT
0: Smartcast. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Traditionally, women have been acting as intrapreneurs by managing households and families. Since the past half century, they have stepped into the business world. While the road has been laid with many inspiring stories, a lot of ground still needs to be covered to drive an equal opportunity environment. As per Innovan Capital's early-stage investment insight report 2018, only 17% of Indian startups have at least one female co-founder. This is even worse than the 22% in 2016 and 20% in 2017. Similarly. There's only a handful of women leading private investment firms. In the US too, only 17% of startups have reportedly had at least one female founder. Since most startups have two or more founders, it is safe to assume that less than 1 in 10 startup founders is a woman. The problem is far more complex than it appears the limited talent pool of women in engineering or technology fields and limited role models of successful female entrepreneurs are some of the root causes for fewer women in this space. Besides, founding a company requires a lot of work and sacrifice, hampering work-life balance. Women sometimes face unique challenges compared to men. One might argue, if there is a fundamental need To have more women in the startup venture industry well there is a financial incentive to close the gender gap higher diversity yields higher returns startups with a female founder generated 78 cents of revenue for every one dollar of funding while male founded startups generated 31 cents according to a bcg study of 350 startups according to the howard business review Clear biases exist when investing in startups where both male and female founders get asked different questions. Investors adopt what's called a promotion orientation when quizzing male entrepreneurs, which means they're focused on hopes, achievements, advancements, and ideals. Conversely, when questioning female entrepreneurs, they embrace a the prevention orientation which is concerned with safety, responsibility, security, and vigilance. The question that we need to ask ourselves as we enter the new financial year is will the portrait of a young founder as a man finally change? Will the startup investment ecosystem, which romanticizes the boys club playbook of investing, be more inclusive? Such changes require reorientation from both startups and investors. As Indian startups mature and pursue global ambitions, the time has come to introspect on what kind of success they seek. One which is a one-trick pony remembered only for that big valuation, or becoming an institution embracing sustainability and diversity. In the latest dispatch of Mint Startup Diaries, I have a lighter chat with Divya Gokulnath, a teacher and a businesswoman. She is the co-founder of DecaCon at tech startup Baiju's The Learning App. She's also married to the co-founder of Baiju's Baiju Ravindran. Divya just embraced motherhood for the second time and we get on chatting about female entrepreneurship, motherhood, expansion and more. Please help me welcome Ditya who's a co-founder of iJews, India's Decacon at Tech Startup. Vivga, it's my sheer pleasure and privilege to welcome you on this show. Uh, we were just chatting uh, up earlier, and I think I really like the statement coming from your end, that, Shreeja, I do not like this woman-found attack. I'm a founder first, a woman later. And that sort of really sets the tone of this conversation at a very good pace. I really want to understand from you, Divya, that, uh, you know, founder of a corn. really, I mean, where do you go from here? Your journey has been fascinating. And the fact that you just embraced mother for the second time. You know, how do these goals really align with each other?
1: See, uh, The goals are very different. And I think that's important for, uh, you know, for, for every woman to have artificial boundaries. Otherwise, you end up mixing everything. So work is important. Family is important. It's important to give time to both. Uh, they're equally precious. You're raising two big things. So, uh, you know, prior to maybe COVID, I would say create boundaries. I would I would go to work, I would be 100% at work. I would come back home and I would be at home. But right now, the past one year, I've really learned to create artificial boundaries for myself. So, because, you know, women multitask really well. It's that same multitasking, which can come back and hit you if you think about it, because you try to do uh, 10 different things. Now you do 10 different things, but if you try to do it at the same point of time, you end up giving 10% to each rather than trying to give you know 100% to each thing at one point of time and i think that's one thing we really have to work out for ourselves and being a working mother like any other working mother out there i think if you've braved the last one year we'll brave anything because it's really taught us how to juggle, right? It's really taught us how to juggle work, how to juggle home all the time with absolutely minimal help because we aren't allowed to meet anybody. So it's, it's been a testing ground. And uh, I think on the other side, all of us have learned and grown to be stronger, better, uh, you know, and more enterprising professionals and at home. That's true. Really well said, Divya, that to
0: create artificial boundaries necessary, and I think the pandemic has been more severe, if I may use the terminology for women compared to men, right? Because women had, just by the virtue of what they are and who they have to multitask as you put up. I want to understand from you, David, there's a woman entrepreneur, you know, as part of the startup ecosystem, how do you think female entrepreneurs are really treated? I mean, this is according to the economic survey 0920, only 43% of 27,084 recognized startups in India had a women director in January 2020. Of course, the diversity numbers are skewed, but and, and on top of it, we don't really have so many women go from the example to talk about too. So what do you think is really, you know, lacking there?
1: So I won't disagree. Uh, that earlier there was a huge gap in gender neutrality at senior management uh, levels across industries. However, things are steadily changing with key stakeholders understanding the importance of diversity in the workplace, and especially with tech companies uh, who have the ability to solve problems at scales. That's what we do as a tech company. Diversity ensures that you have a multi-dimensional approach to both problem solving and solution creation. And there is also an active effort going on, and I'll talk about it, to address boardroom inequality across industries uh, in terms of workplace dynamics. We're seeing a lot of women entrepreneurs, leaders across the world. That's an empowering feeling if you think about it. And it's inspiring for many more young women and, uh, you know, telling them that you can also take that risk and start up. In fact, the recent GT report, uh, which I read on Women in Business 2021, states that 47% of Indian mid-market businesses now have women CEOs. So this is this is something which is big. And women are not shying away from taking risks. They're not shying away from leading a business. It's just a lack of opportunities, if you ask me, which is creating a hindrance. And so we need to create more opportunities for women, allow them to scale into leaders. If a company has good representation of women since inception and in strong leadership positions, that means if you think about it, when you start up, the balance is usually in place throughout the organization. And I'll take Baiju's itself for an example. We have 33% women representation on the board. 4 out of 10 in the top management, 40% across levels. So this cognizance of diversity inclusion since inception, giving equal opportunities irrespective of gender and pulling people up within the system, this will ensure a healthy and vibrant workspace. Generally speaking, I've been the service startup ecosystem man, and I've been there for a while now. Personally,
0: I found that you know women are Always been given softer roles, even if you're an organization, as compared to men, where the technology or the product question is often, you know, given to the man, and the marketing or the PR uh, or the HR roles are perhaps given to women. Perhaps it's differented by Jews, and uh, I'm not sure if you know about this document which Netflix came out of, this no-bro culture. That you know, we need to have a no-bro culture because the damage in startups or in companies with the bro culture is much higher even if your team is world class and there have been various studies in fact there was a study by howard business review where even from a vc's perspective there's a clear bias that exists you know when you are investing in a woman startup or a male startup the questioning changes when you're questioning a male founder first of all you're often asked that If you're a female startup founder, okay, can you get a male co-founder, for instance? Or the questioning changes that, you know, when you're questioning female entrepreneurs, you have a prevention orientation, which is concerned with safety, responsibility, security, and vigilance. If you're interviewing a male entrepreneur, often the question is, okay, focus on hopes, achievements, advancement, and ideals. Uh, okay, you've had a great run, Divya, but I'm sure your journey must have been a tough one. You must have also gone through bouts of insecurities and challenges. Can you give me some two or three anecdotes or examples from your journey, which can be extremely meaningful to our watchers, especially women founders there?
1: Yeah, so when I talk about my journey, and I'll be very frank, okay, because uh, I, I want it to be as like as as inspiring as possible for people to understand. And And very frankly, I haven't had... Uh, many hurdles. I'm the only child of my parents, by the way. And throughout my journey, I've been very fortunate, even in my work journey, to have been given an equal playing field as my male counterparts. And you spoke about my energy, you spoke about my positivity. Possibly this is the reason, right? And and, and the minute you're given that sort of opportunity to be in a level playing field, it brings out the best in every woman. Very frankly, I haven't faced it. Very very frankly, right? And, and I, I won't lie over there. I've been very fortunate, like I said, right from my upbringing, all my way into workspace, I have been uh very lucky to be surrounded by like-minded people progressive people having stable consistent support in the form of my family being from a defense background my father was a doctor in the air force my mother was a program executive in Doordarshan. i took it for granted that i'm going to be a working woman i took it for granted that i can give time to both my family as well as work i had no siblings it's what, it was only my mother who would bring me up but she gave me all the time in the world uh and and i grew up with uh with equal emphasis on studies on games on extracurriculars and and that taught me the importance of an all-round personality and and for anybody be it a boy be it a girl child right it's equally important for everyone while they're growing up and and teaching happened uh you know it's been my passion and me along with most of the founding team at baiju's we're teachers uh, we put in a hundred percent we help students love learning we help them learn better we saw a huge gap in the way concepts were taught how they should actually be learned and all of that and if you ask me how did we start up we really didn't start up for the sake of starting up it was this passion that we had which intersected with the need in society and i think that's when that happens and you put your mind and heart to it it creates a company that has a large scale impact so uh, so so that and th- there were many road bumps, there were many decisions I have to take along the way. I won't say there were obstacles because uh, you, you, when, when there is a bump in your way, you just need to jump higher, right? And, and you will come out even better. And those bumps also helped me explore my uh, full potential. So and having said all of this, my journey is an exception. There is a long way to go uh, before we can claim that women have the same opportunities as uh, men in society and i think the problem lies basically within the regressive mindsets of people promoted by our largely patriarchal society so i think this can change we're slowly seeing the change each one of us can trigger the change and uh, and if if we're actually if we actually sit back and think about the numbers with a country that has over half its graduates as women we have huge potential to tap into this unleashed number. And uh, if and enough studies show that it's mid-career that most uh, women drop off. So it's not about starting off their career. It is, and, uh, it is about staying on, holding on, which is as important because that's when you can rise to upper levels. You need to give your career time for it to grow. And that's unfortunately not happening because of family commitments and most women drop out, or not most women, I'd say half the women drop out just a quarter join back and half of them eventually leave that's what studies show so if we as individuals and companies can be flexible at the right point of time understand that this is nothing but a phase in a woman's life where she needs to be there for her family all the time at that time she's also trying to give her best at work we can hopefully hold on to so many talented women who are forced to leave their careers just because of commitments during a time where they can actually take their promotion and and go to the next level i want to understand
0: that you know, suppose in your technology startup or startups you know how much of the success is measured by the fact that you know how many women do you have on board or how many women employees do you have as vis-a-vis when you're Entire focus is on the next funding round or the next valuation at a higher round or the next media statement. So do startups in general technology can play a huge role because that actually is the forefront of where the economy is headed. You know, but the success of the, are you thinking it's time to perhaps redefine the KPIs, especially in which startups are measured? They should also include these parameters and not necessarily only financial parameters. What do you think?
1: I would like to answer that question in two parts. So this sort of quota system, if you ask me, which which we have in, in certain places just to promote women, it helps in the short term. It helps you fill up and it helps you give an opportunity to women. But in the long run, only if you have capability, only if there is talent, will, will it rise up. So that being said, I think there is, there is huge potential to take women up to the next level. Should this be an agenda in every startup? So if you think about it early on, like we did, if you are cognizant of the importance of diversity early on, you don't need to plug it in on the way. It gets taken care of because women tend to surround themselves by more women. I've seen that happen multiple times. My uh, Our chief strategy officer is a woman and she heads finance for us. So it, it's, and she has many more women who help her. And even when you promote, rather than trying to look beyond, look within. And for us, looking within has been very important because we, Created a product in a sec, We created a new segment in a way. Learning apps didn't exist before Baidu, so we didn't have any playbook. It was not a cut, copy, paste model. We set our own rules. We set our own benchmark. We made our own teams. We defined our own metrics. So at that, at, and then you you don't then you don't look at you know okay am I going to put a guy here am I going to put a girl here you put the right person who has the right kind of talent. So if companies think that way and uh, you know hire irrespective of gender but just based on talent a. Two, if they think about it from inception, and I always think that's the most important thing, then it doesn't become another rule in the book. There is, It doesn't become about tokenism. It doesn't become, I need 30% representation on the board because, I, and, and you know, it, it doesn't become about that. It becomes because you truly believe in diversity. You truly believe diversity can bring you multitude of ideas and uh, help you come at better decisions because 50% of your consumers are women.
0: Yeah, that is sort of well said, uh you know, how can you sort of not look at 50% of your consumer base, which is women. But yeah, I want to understand from you that, you know, I also happened to interview Sal Khan of Khan Academy, sort of, you know, f- you know I think at a few months back, I think was Mr. COVID, and I think just the sheer impact that digital transformation has had on education, and edtech companies are so much in vogue. And I happened to ask him this question that, you know, what really is the future of education? And uh, he said this very simply, that the future of education is one where the concept of time and space does not really matter, where you are learning on the go, where you can learn you are are on a holiday, you are learning where the child need not be in the classroom. When I look at Paiju's, I think the focus really is not to take away from the classroom teaching, but perhaps to be an add-on. Or to be a complement or a supplement to what is being, you know, already taught in classroom. If I were to ask you, as a co-founder of India's largest learning company, as to what really is the future of
1: education, what would that really be, according to you? So this answer, if you had asked anybody five years back, I don't think we would have had, uh, you know, a statement like this to say. But truly, in the last one year, all stakeholders of education have gone online, literally overnight. Not what happened, uh, what could have happened, did not happen in decades, happened in weeks, happened in days. Be it teachers, be it students, be it institutions, even parents have all transitioned online. That being said, the last one year has really put the benefits of online learning in the, in the forefront. Every student has a front row seat. And we've come to realize that a lot of subjects like math, like science, can actually be taught better online. But there are some subjects very critical subjects, which teach you social skills. Subjects like the arts, which can only be taught offline. So if you ask me, what is the future of education? The future of education, especially for the K-12 to segment, where children are learning concepts for the first time, where children are, uh, where there's so much focus on all around development, it is a blended form of learning, which, which has the best of online as well as offline learning. So, because, you know, especially in sports, where do you teach team skills, which is so important, where do you teach people how to play together a work together which eventually translates to working together you need people on your side for these kind of social skills like empathy so it has to be a blended form of learning and like you rightly said by is for a child when they are learning on their own they can learn when they want they can learn how they want they can learn However, they like whenever they want, whatever they want, you know, wherever they want. That's basically the philosophy of BYJU'S, and it's for every kind of learner. It's not just for the motivated few, but for everyone to go up the level that they are, and most importantly, to love learning so that they start learning on their own. That's basically the way it works. So, uh, you know, that being said, the uh, the future of learning will will then combine both of these elements. You'll have uh, the synchronous elements of online learning where. Students will get together for the peer-to-peer learning. They will, they will meet their teacher. And a teacher can the role of a teacher can also massively change. Uh, today, today, they teach concepts. Tomorrow, they can be facilitators. They can help students explore concepts on their own. They can help them uh, understand things uh, by researching, by referencing. Because there's so much available uh, because of online learning today. And children have become so tech-savvy. The, 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 and they're so digitally enabled. If you look at the generation gaps, I think, are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Right? Like, Previously, you know, uh, you know, 20 years was one generation. Now, if you think about it, 10 years is one, is two, three generations. There's a big difference between the way a 13-year-old uses digital devices compared to the way a 4-year-old uses digital devices. So...
0: So, Divya, what are the kind of learnings that, you know, as a company, you've had in the pandemic, especially, which are the missing blocks, which you think you would like to plug as you go forward and expand the organization, just given the sheer amount of people took on to online learning, right? The pandemic really accelerated the shift. And EdTech clearly is an inflection point right now. So, do you think what the kind of the gaps, if you will, were available, which you would look to plug as a co-founder as you build out the organization?
1: So there is huge potential for uh, for edtech companies to create viable solutions for students for teachers for institutions there's so much that can be done but again online learning uh, you know or tech enabled learning is not just about digitizing offline content it's 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 about making it meaningful it's about having the the right mix of effective content interesting visuals interactive uh, games all of that because that's when you can keep a child attentive to learn the concept thoroughly. Otherwise, if you just, you know, because for now edtech is in the spotlight and there can be a rush of people just starting up companies, but then the quality is the number one thing. And Keeping all of this in mind, uh, yes, edtech, edtech has been put in the spotlight as unfortunate as the situation is. I think we are fortunate to be in a segment of positive relevance. And just in terms of numbers, if you look at it, we had 30 million students uh, download the app in just six months during the pandemic. So. That has been the kind of uh, growth that we've seen. That's the kind of traction we have seen to online learning. We saw engagement rise to 100 minutes per session on the app. And the most important thing is we saw frequency go up. People were coming back to learn using the app almost every day. So we had opened up the app for free during the pandemic so that students could continue learning. because schools were closed uh, back then in March, April last year. So we opened up the app for free. Then we realized that students were missing out on the scheduled learning uh, which, which happens because they, their teachers, at that point of time, it had not yet happened. So we launched free live classes. I myself took classes. So my bedroom was converted into a little studio. Nothing very fancy, one Cintiq, uh, one camera. And then we started teaching uh, You know, classes at, at specific times of the day because students were missing that scheduled learning. So that happened. We we fast-tracked product launches. We launched multiple subjects like social studies. We, we launched English. We launched many vernacular languages. We launched the app in multiple vernacular languages. So. We did, we did a lot of things. I think what, and I always joke and say something which we could have done, we did in three, four years. We probably did it in three, four months because that was the requirement at that point of time and people needed it. So, so what are your expansion plans? So where do you go from here? What are your growth plans? So I'll uh, give specifics here, like three or four key expansion plans. Yeah. So aspiration is to go global. Aspiration is also to go deeper in India. Uh, it's untapped potential. There's so much difference that we can make. That being said, if you ask me, what's our mission? Our mission has always been the same. Ten years ago, it is to create an impact on the way children learn. Today, also, it's the same. Ten years from now, also, will remain the same. So we're very focused on that, but we're very flexible with our execution. We would do multiple things and uh, maybe use technology as a positive disruptor to to disrupt ourselves and and do things in a better way. So uh, so that so both of these, in fact, would be our. Uh, Expansion plans. We want to go to multiple geographies. We want to launch multiple subjects. Focus has always been on increasing the TAM uh, by 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 going across by going across grades, by launching multiple multiple more products, and also getting into more geographies. Divya, I also happen to
0: you know speak with a lot of other edtech founders. I want to understand one thing, and I've seen this play out in other spaces. You know this happened in e-commerce, this happened in fintech, and now we're seeing in edtech. So while there are multiple players, and often the capital itself can be the moat, it can be a strength, it can actually set you apart from other players. And if you are the most heavily funded startup, then it puts you and gives you the firepower to market yourself more, to expand, to acquire, to do so many other things. From a Baijiu's perspective, do you think that your capital is your biggest defensible moat? When I say moat, I essentially mean that the lines of defense that you draw, you know, against each other, the competitive advantage. When you compare yourself to, say, Abhinantuan Academy, you know, what is it to say that, you know, Baijiu's will really emerge as a also five years from now? And what really, according to you, are the two or three competitive
1: advantages as you build this out? I think the biggest strength is the value we give our students and the biggest strength we have internally and even more than capital will be the strength of the founding team. And I I don't say that enough, but uh, very proud to say that the team that we started up with, everybody's here today. So that's something that sort of continuum to have, uh, you know, you you can have a lot of capital, but if you do not have continuity in your mission, if you don't have the same kind of leadership driving the kind of values within the organization things can really go upside down so there are a lot of things which need to work it's not just one thing and speaking about capital you know you can you can have a lot of capital but if you do not value money then that can also turn upside down so for example every ad we give, we calculate the roi so we're very 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 particular we're very number driven uh, we we don't do things just for the sake of doing it we don't spend for the sake of fend- spending so we're on the jersey today because we want to grow into a well-loved band because Indian cricket is associated with, with a million budding dreams.
0: To all the women watchers there, women who are trying to perhaps start up or women who are just at the edge, thinking that you know to continue in their job or to take the plunge,
1: what would your advice be, especially to those women? So uh, to those women, I would want to say, I, I'm assuming you are you know between 25 and 35. My answer would actually depend depending on you know, which, because for a woman, unfortunately, it's like, you know, different stages of her life, the challenges are so different. So, if you're just entering your career, uh, you and I have a lot in common. We both are independent people. we are standing on our own feet and uh, we're going to make a difference. And now the next two, three years before you start a family is when you can give 100% to your career. So, rise up as much as you can. And uh, for those who are uh, in their mid-career, those who are you know looking to start up now where where you also have a family and you're deciding is this the right thing to do uh, i would say it's the toughest decision to make but it's very important to hang on uh, it's not just about being an opening batsman it's about staying in the game because that's when you can really clear uh, create an impact uh, because right now I know it's tough for you but with the right kind of family support and I always talk about it without my family i i, I wouldn't be able to do what i do beat my parents beat my in-laws Read my extended family. I live in a huge joint family and that's been my biggest asset. I'm able to do all that I'm able to do today only because of them. So we women literally stand on the shoulders of people who sacrifice their time and their effort for us so that we can be on top. So uh, find that network, find that support system for yourself and you will find that the next few years will just pass. And then you can come back again with full zeal. And so to the final set of people who are women leaders, please inspire more. There are so few Uh, Of us out there that we really need to be heard. We need to we need to inspire young women that look women can reach on top of the ladder, and uh, as women leaders we need to look within rather than look beyond and promote people within, uh, bring them up and call them out. If you ask me,
0: thanks, Divya. It was a lovely conversation. Thank you so much. It's sheer pleasure and privilege having you. Thank you so much.